Here's a truth that uh, is helpful to get a hold of sooner rather than later, is that you can't have it all. As the saying goes, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Though it seems like it ought to be, you can't eat your cake and have it too. Uh, you can't have a wife and a girlfriend. You can't have a husband and a boyfriend. By definition, you can't have a best friend and another best friend. You can't not work and have a truck. It seems suspicious to claim to be a Georgia fan in the fall and a UK fan in the winter. <laughs> Though some try. You can't drink Mountain Dew and eat grandma's cookies or run a fast marathon. And you definitely can't be self-centered and be a parent. And as Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. As you know, the, the sermons I've been preaching lately focus on how God will treat us when we find ourselves in a certain particular situation. And I've chosen to take a look at a few different people in the Old Testament to see how God treats them. And then we can get some insight into how he's likely to treat us when we're in the same spot. For today, the, for today, the question is this. What will God do? How will he treat you if you try to have it all? If you do try to serve two masters? And I want to look at an event in the Old Testament where we see this very thing happen. The main player for the morning is a guy named Balaam. Uh, you can find his story if you want to. Go ahead and turn to Numbers 22. Balaam is described to us as a seer. Uh, S-E-E-R. I like to think of him more as sort of a witch doctor. Uh, he tries to communicate with higher powers, the different gods of the day. Uh, he is well known for, for, for throwing down curses and blessings. And apparently he seems to be pretty good at what he does. He, he must have a good business going on because he gets a call from the king of Moab to do a job. And the job is to throw a curse down on Israel. Numbers 22 picks up the narrative while Israel is still uh, kind of wandering in the desert. Uh, they've made their way through the Red Sea, and they're on their way to the Promised Land. But you remember this is a very roundabout kind of journey. And a key player in this region, uh, Israel finds herself, is the king of Moab, and his name is Balak. The king is well aware that wherever the Hebrews have previously been, the locals have trouble. And he knows it's just a matter of time before bad starts happening in his backyard. And he's heard about the nation of Israel's military power. Israel was on a roll right now. They just stampeded a couple of other places, Sion and Og. And now they're headed right toward Moab and Midian. In fact, when we pick up the story in, number two, in Numbers 22, Israel is camped within sight of, of Moab. And this is very intimidating to Balak. He's terrified by the sheer volume. Their presence uh, is, is overwhelming. This would be like everyone in Tennessee loading up their pickup and driving north to Kentucky in mass. I mean, it would be a little scary to experience. Verse 1, if you found Numbers 22, Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox, licks, an ox licks up the grass of the field. So the Israelites are this, they're in a huge swarm, and they're inching their way across the desert. And though we read about them being out in the wilderness 
Um, they're by no means isolated. They seem to be traveling along the fringe and within the margins of other tribes' territories. And you can't miss them. There's no way they're going to sneak up on anybody. Their sandals kick up a huge cloud of dust whenever they are on the move. If you look at Numbers 26, you can see that a census is taken where uh, they count over 600,000 men, just the men. So there, there are easily over a million people in this swarm. And as they travel through the desert, sometimes God directs them to go to battle with another tribe. And through these battles, they built, they've built quite a reputation among the other people groups. So Israel is feared. Moab is filled with dread as the people look out their windows and see this force heading their way. So with Israel on the move, Balak rallies others around him, primarily those from Midian. And he's looking to build a coalition. He's assuming there might be some strength in, in numbers. And he's thinking, if we don't work together, we'll be wiped out like an ox licks up grass from a field. Verse 4. Balak, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor. That's our witch doctor. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land, they have settled, and they have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed, and those you curse are cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them a fee for divination. And when they came to Balaam, they told him what, what Balak had said. So here's, here's our man of the hour, Balaam. Again, he's, he's a seer. He's a witch doctor. Balaam is believed to have the power to vex people, to, to curse people, evidently to curse even a, uh, a nation of people. So King Balak and his team, along with a few leaders from Midian, uh, they meet up and they decide to put together a pay package to entice Balaam to come work for them. And they're willing to pay whatever this fee of divination is. Uh, they want to hire the cursor to curse Israel. And I, I read that and I wonder, you know, what's the going rate to throw down a curse? Do you pay per person? Is there a group rate? How about a swarm rate? You know, 3% off of groups of 50, 10% off of groups of 100,000. Um, how, how about a swarm discount? What about a million people? I mean, that's, that's got to be a hefty sum, but Balak was willing to pay the fee. So these leaders come to Balaam, and they lay out their offer. They say, we want you to put a curse on Israel, because we know you're one of the best cursors in the business. And by the way, here's a wagon full of gold um, if you take the job. Verse 8, Balaam said to them, spend the night here, and I'm going to go uh, and ask the Lord what I'm supposed to do. So the Moabite princes stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, uh, Balak sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me because uh, perhaps then I'll be able to fight with them and drive them away. So Balaam, who is not an Israelite, inquires of God. He says, what do I do with this request to curse Israel? And that's a wise move on Balaam's part to ask the God of Israel what um, he's supposed to do. And God tells him, don't do it. Steer clear. These are my people. Do not curse people that I have blessed. <clears throat> now, that's not the answer Balak wanted to hear. So I want you to think back, perhaps, to a time when you wanted to do something that others advised you against doing. What did you do then? When you got their response and it wasn't what you wanted to hear, what, what did you do then? At least, what were you tempted 
to do. If you're like me, you looked for a different advisor, you know? Uh, you tried to find someone who thinks like you do. You try to find someone who will, to ask who will tell you what you want to hear. Or you just throw some more money around in an attempt to get your way. So Balak gets word that Balaam turned him down. However, Balak is not used to being denied. So he'll try to, again to get the answer that he's looking for. So he sends a different group of guys to Balaam, to Balaam's door, more distinguished than the first group. Balak thinks I may have underestimated Balaam's view of himself. You know, I thought the JV team could get this done, but nay, nay, I got to send in the big boys. So I'm going to send in the varsity team and I'll sweeten the package so that I will get what I want. Verse 16. They came to Balaam and said, This is what Balak says Do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Basically, Balak is telling Balaam, name your price, I'll pay whatever you ask. It's like a blank check being handed to him. So here's the situation. Balak is pressuring Balaam to curse Israel. Balaam is not willing to do that because God has told him not to. Balak is giving his best effort to get Balaam to change his mind. And as I'm, I'm thinking through this, the word scruples, I don't know if it comes to your mind, but that's a word that comes to my mind as I take in all that's going on here. Balaam is being tempted to sacrifice a conviction for an enticing reward. Balaam is reluctant to do what Balak is asking. He, he doesn't want to go against Israel's God, but surely Balaam has a price. Don't we all have a price? What is it that you would never think about selling unless you were offered the right price? For the right price, the tutor agrees to take the test for the athlete. For the right price, the accountant creates a second set of books for the public. For about any price, your neighbor unloads an old pickup, uh, only he knows is about to die. But what's, what's your price? What would it take for you to sacrifice your convictions? Or better yet, what did it take? The question in the moment is this, what would it take for you to deny Jesus, to serve another master? Now, you need to know this is a very real question for some Christians living in hostile environments. Uh, for some, this is a life or death situation, a life or death question. Seventy million Christians have been martyred over the course of history. Seventy million times someone said, I'd rather die than deny Jesus Christ. According to the Esther Project, 322 Christians are killed every month. That's 322 people who believed in and followed Jesus and said, not today. You can kill me if you want, but I'm not going to let go of Jesus. But what about us? Living where we can still worship God without fear of being arrested or tortured. Um, I'd guess some days and in some situations, it doesn't take much, does it? Satan knows just how little is needed at just the right time with just the right person in just the right place, in just the right circumstances. We may claim to be a Christ follower, but in this just right situation, someone else or something else is our Lord. Balaam gives what sounds like a strong and solid response to Balak's enticing offer. Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Even with a sweet deal on the table for the taking, Balaam seems determined. But let's see what happens next. 
Verse 19, now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but only do what I tell you to do. I don't want you to miss that last line. Do only what I tell you. It's going to be important. In the morning, Balaam saddles up his donkey. Um, let's call her Jenny. And he rides off with these distinguished men. Verse 22, but God was very angry when he went, when Balaam went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. So, so God is angry with Balaam for some reason that we're not told about here. And here's where the story sounds crazy. It's like Aesop's fable or something out of Shrek or something like this. As Balaam is riding along, this donkey makes a sharp left turn off the road and into a field. And Balaam proceeds to beat the donkey to get her going again. And not too much further down the road, this donkey rubs up against a wall and leans Balaam's in his foot into the wall and pinching him. And so Balaam gets off and beats the whinny out of Jenny, uh, this donkey, again. Do you like that? That's a little rhyming thing. Um, then he gets back on the road, and soon Jenny just simply sits down in the middle of the road. And now this is where it really gets crazy, because this donkey talks and asks Balaam, why, why are you beating me half to death? I just need to pause here for a moment. I gave a lot of thought as to whether or not I wanted to highlight Balaam's experience because I knew I would have to say something about a talking donkey. This is crazy. I mean, who believes this could possibly happen? Donkeys, they don't talk. They don't talk. But then I thought, let's just add it to the list of other crazy things written about in our Bibles. There's an axe head that floats. There's a fish that Jesus brings up to the shore that has money in its mouth. Uh, they, there's this swarm of people that walk through the middle of a sea with water piling up on both sides. There's a serpent that talks. Um, it seems like in the beginning, creation happens from absolutely nothing. How do you create something from nothing? Or how about a God who has... No beginning or end. That's a little crazy. Or a God who lays his life down for you and for me. Or a God who can make dead men walk. Or a God who gives us grace and guidance every single day. I, as I thought about it, I'd say there's really no lack of things in our Bible that are very hard to believe. And in Peter's words, when everybody was leaving Jesus, he says, where are we going to go, Jesus? Where are we going to go? You have the words of life. So here we are reading about a donkey who talked to a witch doctor named Balaam. Then the Lord, verse 28, opened the donkey's mouth and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? So that the donkey talks and, and Balaam talks back to the donkey. And Balaam says, this is what Balaam says for you made a fool of me. And Jenny could have said, I made a fool. You're the one talking to the donkey. You know, I think you're doing that by on, your, on your own. Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. And Jenny says, funny you should bring up the subject of swords because I've been protecting your life ever since the moment this ride started. You see, every time the donkey stopped on our journey, it was because she saw an angel in the road with a sword drawn. And the angel has Balaam in his sights. Verse 30. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey which you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? 
No, he said. Then, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. Balaam said to the angel, I've sinned. I did not realize you were staying in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I'll go back. And the angel said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princess of Balak. Now, see, there's that directive again. Speak only what I tell you. Do only what I tell you. From here, the entourage makes their way to visit, uh, back to visit with Balak. Uh, Balaam proceeds to announce three oracles, uh, each one being a blessing from God over Israel, and each time Balak is not happy. After the third oracle, here's what happens next, verse, chapter 24, verse 10. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and he said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you blessed them these three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Balak answered Balak, Did I not tell the messengers you sent me, even if Balak gave me this palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord? And I must say only what the Lord says. Now I'm going back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in days to come. And then Balaam throws down a curse on Moab. But that's not the end of the story. Chapter 25, verse 1. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods, so Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. We don't know how much time passes between Balaam going home and uh, and Israel's idolatry and immorality kicking in, but it appears what Balak's army could never do The Moabite women did very well. Israel's men could not and did not say no. So God is the one who ends up cursing Israel. He punishes Israel for these sins. A lot of people die because of this immorality. But that's also not the end of the story. From what we have read so far, Balaam seems to be a pretty good guy. He listens to God doing and saying, as far as we can tell, only what God tells him to do. Um, Balak promised him a lot of money to curse Israel, but Balaam continued to refuse. However, if we do a little more research, we uncover the underbelly of what is the rest of the story. In 2 Peter 2, Peter is writing about the dangers of false teachers. And Balaam's name pops up, kind of out of the blue. In verse 15, Peter says, They, uh, the false teachers, have left the straight, straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, of Peor, who loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Peter Peter realizes that's that's a crazy story also, like donkeys don't talk is what Peter said. Now this may be confusing from what we read in Numbers, um, because the way of Balaam seemed to be the way of following God's directives, the way of obedience. What does Peter mean by the way of Balaam? And what is up with this wages of wickedness that Peter mentioned? Do you think maybe this has something to do with the money that Balak offered him to curse Israel? Do you remember in Numbers that as Balaam left with Balak's men, God was 
angry with him. Remember that part? As he took off riding with Aunt Jenny. Why, why was God angry with him? He seemed to be doing only as he was told. Could there be a problem with Balaam's motivation in going to meet with Balak? Maybe Balaam is trying to figure out a way to, to tap into some of this money that's been put on the table, and maybe that's why God repeats the command, say only what I tell you to say, because Balaam is brewing up a different plan in his head. So God takes Balaam on a supernatural journey, a living parable, and Balaam, the seer, is unable to see the angel of the Lord right in front of him, but this donkey can see the angel very clearly. God can make a seer out of a donkey if he wants to. So now let's go to Numbers 31 for more behind-the-scenes information. Remember how the women of Moab seduced the men of Israel? We looked at that just a moment ago. That, that didn't just happen. That was an intentional strategy. And, get this, it was Balaam's idea. In Numbers 31, 16, talking about these women who had seduced the men of, of uh, Israel, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord in what happened at Peor, so that a plague struck the Lord's people. These women were simply following Balaam's advice. Balaam found a way to not curse Israel with his words, but he laid out a strategy to get the Israelites to turn away from God so that God would be the one who cursed them. Now we have all the pieces that we've been given to more fully understand the rest of the story. Balaam was offered a sizable compensation package by Balak if he would curse Israel. God used a really strange supernatural experience to let Balaam uh, know who's in charge. He said to him a couple of times, say only what I tell you to say, do only what I tell you to do, just in case Balaam had any other ideas, which we now know that he did. After Balaam's little chat with Jenny, the donkey, he does what he's been wanting to do all along. He wants to get the gold. So Balaam goes on to give the Moabites a different route to achieve their goal of fending off the Israelites. This plan would have God cursing the Israelites, uh, not Balaam, and that's exactly what happened. But things didn't work out as Balaam had hoped. Instead of retiring in a bungalow along the Tigris, he's killed in a battle between Israel and the Midianites. That's a crazy story, isn't it? I mean, it's crazy. You've got angels, you've got curses, you've got donkeys that talk, you have seduction, you have battles. One thing the Bible definitely isn't, it's, it's not boring. So much goes on in and around Balaam's story. But my question for this morning is this. How will God treat us when we're motivated to go our own way? When we want to have our cake and eat it too. When we're tempted by the wages of wickedness. When we're motivated to deny God, deny Jesus, and and do what we want. When the price for our betrayal is the amount that is on the table. What does this event in Numbers tell us about God? One thing we can count on based on Balaam's experience, God will go to great extremes to get our attention. I believe the story confirms he will do whatever it takes to turn our focus and our worship back on him. A talking donkey is a pretty creative avenue to go down. That would definitely um, get our attention. What if your beloved and faithful dog while on a stroll with you through the neighborhood, sat down in the middle of the road and began talking to you about a decision in your life. A decision which finds you leaning in the direction of lacking integrity. And this faithful canine turns to you and simply asks, Really? Is this the road you're going to go down? You could leave me at the house next time if that's who you're going to be. I don't want to walk with a person like you. 
That would get your attention, wouldn't it? So as unlikely as we are to have a conversation with our pet, we can't say it's totally out of the question. Because this is what we know. God will go to great extremes to get our attention. Maybe he'll wake us up with a dream in the middle of the night. A dream which is very clear and precisely convicting. Maybe a thought out of the blue hits us in a vulnerable spot. Maybe we get pink slipped. Maybe something occurs which isolates us for a time. Maybe a pandemic comes along and shows us, shows us that we need to reorient and reevaluate. And we've got the margin to do it right now. Maybe a friend who knows you better than anyone else takes a risk and pulls up beside you and asks the hard questions. The questions which expose your heart and expose who you're serving right now. Maybe it happens in here, in this holy place. The words of a song, a phrase spoken, a message shared, a verse read. God will go to great extremes to get your attention. Uh, For Simon, he did it with a catch of fish. Before we close, I want to show you a clip uh, from The Chosen, which we've talked about some. We've been showing it on Wednesday night. And this clip is, um, it just is about a minute and a half. But it does a great job of showing this moment in Simon's life when he decides, who are you going to serve? Let's play this. My brother and the baptizer. You are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am, the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. What do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. So there's the invitation from Jesus to each one of us, just to follow me. You may need to answer his invitation again today with an I will, or you may be answering that question for the first time in your life today. I know this, God has gone to the greatest extremes to lead us to this point in time. So will we follow him today? Will we follow him this week with all that we are? Will you choose him to be the only God in your life? Let's stand and sing.